ghosts, specters, whatever you want to call them, they've been around for thousands of years. Apparently she died from a tooth infection in one of the upstairs rooms in the house. As in the locations they haunt. History of a Haunting podcast tells you all about these famous, infamous, and almost famous locations. And why they became terrifying places to visit. Grab a glass of wine and settle in with your hosts, Archie. I mean, that was definitely the wrong thing to do. And Carrie. Nobody asked for it, Carrie. Nobody fucking asked for it. But hey, my podcast, and I'll say what I fucking want. (laughs) Two people just winging it in life and this podcast. So enjoy this week's episode of History of a Haunting. Hi, guys. Hey, everybody. Welcome to History of a Haunting. It is Easter Sunday. Did you know that? Did you forget? No. Yeah. Koi forgot it. Oh, well, yeah. He came out and I had said something to him about the holiday and he's like, it's a holiday? What holiday is it? And I'm like, it's Easter. And he was like, he looks around all over the living room and he was like, did you hide the eggs? And I was like, no, we haven't done that in years. He's He's 19. And he was like, worst Easter ever and grabbed a drink and went into his room and I hollered after him. I'm like, you didn't even know it was Easter. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, that's how Easter is going in my house. (laughs) Do you, do you guys have anything special planned? No, 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 no. Yeah. We don't really, we don't, I mean, especially now because everybody is stuck in their homes, but, we used, we used to go up to my Aunt Dess's for a big potluck and all the kids, the kids in the family would do a big Easter egg hunt all over her property. And, but that, we haven't done that in years either. Oh, wow. So yeah. Um, Koi, or if, and if Koi didn't go with us to my Aunt Dess's, he would go with his grandparents to his aunts. Obviously no one's doing that this year. And it's just kind of, you know, super mellow Easter, but happy Easter, guys. A, yeah. a week late, a week late. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, Arch, a couple of um, updates and announcements, which we need to come up with a title for this. Other than updates and announcements? Yeah, it's lame. It's, we got to come <laughs> up with, you know. Um, announcements and updates. That, oh, my, that just sings. <laughs> That's way better. Um, (laughs) so the, um, the first thing I want to do is, Arch, I think I tagged you in the post, but our sponsor, Love Heals Rescue, is co-owned by Christy Stewart, and I am such an awesome friend that I forgot her birthday. And it was, yes, (laughs) it was yesterday, so, um, we want to give a little belated shout out to, um, our dear friend Christy, and we are so sorry that we missed it yesterday. So we're giving you a big birthday shout out here on the podcast. Um, we hope you had a really lovely day. She is uh, really wonderful. And her organization that she owns with Andrea Langston is really wonderful. They've been a sponsor of the podcast since our inception. And so, yeah, I sorry that I, I forgot it, Chrissy. I suck, but you already knew that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> The next thing, Arch, I think we wanted to let everybody know is that we have, air quote, hired, and by hired, I mean with a handshake, and um, give him alcohol. 
We <laughs> we have somebody that's actually going to be taking over our social media and our um, email and and that kind of thing to handle all of the messages and things like that that come in from the listeners. We um, we get quite a bit, and just between our two schedules, we need somebody that's going to kind of spearhead that and take that over for us. Um, obviously most of what we get is location suggestions and, and things like that. Um, but you know, occasionally we do have, you know, other folks just writing in and talking to us about their experiences and they have questions and stuff like that for us. So he's going to kind of filter through all of that and forward anything, um, over to us that, um, we would need to give a little bit more of an answer on than just thanks so much kind of a thing. So his name is Mike. He's a friend of ours. And so he's going to be taking over um, all of that uh, information and stuff like that. Of course, we will still, you know, be posting stuff to our social media ourselves like we do. Um, he's just going to kind of help Mon us handle. Monitor the inbound. Monitor the inbound. Yeah, kind of be um, an ad, um, what are those folks called? Administrators or um, uh, it's, it's just an assistant? I don't know. Kind of, yeah. I mean, we haven't really given him a real official title, but yeah, just kind of monitor all the inbound, and then if there's something um, you know that that we need to address specifically from us, then you know he'll forward that on to us, and and we can we can handle it from there. But yeah, so it's great that we have this um, problem that we're getting big enough and busy enough that we need somebody to help us with this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so um, just wanted to make that little announcement. Welcome aboard, Mike. You are so fucked. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, that's about it. Let's get into the episode we are doing. This is a location suggestion from my friend Tiffany Richardson. And I've actually known Tiffany since we were in junior high. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we went to Madison number one together. And so she messaged us, actually, Archie, she messaged us right before Christmas with this location suggestion. Oh. <laughs> yeah, um, she lives in Idaho now, and she's been to this location. We are going to be doing the Old Idaho Penitentiary. Yes, Pen yes, we are. Penitentiary? Penitentiary. I think we I, I think, <laughs> I think we have this problem with Eastern State. Um, old Idaho Penitentiary. Right? Penitentiary. Tenturary? This is going to be fun. Old Idaho <laughs> Jailhouse. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right. So that's all I've got. Arch, do you have any quick updates and stuff that you want to... Well, no, out there? No, I sure don't. Okay. All right. Well, um, I briefly skimmed the history that you sent me, and I didn't want to spoil anything for myself because I read a couple of really fucking amazing things. So I'm just like, I'll just wait till he tells me in the episode. <laughs> so I'm going to sit back with my Easter wine, not to be confused with my everyday wine because it's the same thing, uh, <laughs> and to let you tell me about the history of the old Idaho Penitentiary. All right. <coughs> Let me get a. Okay. So the old Idaho State Penitentiary, as written on triplecordrealestate.com, 
On March 4, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln signed an act that created the Idaho Territory sprawling across an area one quarter larger than Texas. This oh, frontier, shit. yeah, this frontier land was lawless, and in order to obtain its statehood in the Union, it needed a place to hold the dregs of society and reform others. A prison. So, so it wasn't a state yet; it was just a territory. No, exactly, just a territory. Oh wow! Okay. In 1870, the penitentiary began as a one-cell house known as the Territorial Prison, built just east of Boise. It received its first 11 inmates from the Boise County Jail. It quickly grew into a complex of buildings surrounded by a 17-foot hall, 17-foot high sandstone wall. I can hear EKB giggling already. Yeah, good. (laughs) Whatever makes her happy. (laughs) As part of their penance, the prisoners mined nearby rock quarries to build the very walls that would hold them captive. Over its 101 years of operation, it received more than 13,000 inmates. 215 of these were women, with a maximum population of a little over 600. At least 110 of them died inside from old age, illness, and murder. The area now known as the Rose Garden was once used to execute prisoners by hanging. Of the 10 executions in the Old State Penitentiary... Six occurred here. There's also an outdoor recreational area where inmates boxed and played baseball, basketball, handball, tenball, tennis, horseshoes, and football. The baseball and later softball team was named the Outlaws and frequently played teams from across Treasure Valley. (laughs) What were those guys called? The bootleggers and the... (laughs) I, I don't know. But, um... I've got some uh, some bullet points to go through here. Oh, I did, I saw some of those, yeah. It's kind of a, a timeline of, of everything. Um, in 1889, the new cell house was built, consisting of three tiers of 42 steel cells. The hmm. third tier, closest to the Rose Garden, served as death row. In 1893, the administration building was built, housing the warden's office, armory, visitation room, control room, and the turnkey area. In 1894, the false front buildings were added, holding the commissary, blacksmith shops, and trusty dorm. The Wait, the false front? The false front buildings. That's just what it's called. So was it maybe like, like Eastern State, you know, how Becky was saying that it looked like there were windows. If, if you were looking at it from the outside, it looked like there were windows or whatever. But when you were actually in the building, there were no windows. There was no nothing. It was just to make it look a little bit more welcoming, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was like that? I, I could, could be. I don't know. Huh. Okay. In, sorry. In uh, 1898, the dining hall, designed by inmate George Hamilton, was built. In 1899, Cell House 2, also known as as the North Wing, was built and contained two-man cells. A honey bucket was placed in each cell to serve as a toilet. Yeah, I read about, I heard about this on a podcast (coughs) I listened to. This has ruined Winnie the Pooh for me forever. Just, (laughs) I'm just saying. Cell House 3 was also built, the same as Cell House 2. Oh, bit my tongue, motherfucker. Oh, shit. That's awful. In 1902, a barbershop was added to the false front buildings and was operated until the 1960s. Uh, 
1905, Harry Orchard assassinated former Governor Frank Stunenberg and became the first famous inmate. That same year, the women's ward was built out of necessity to house Lida Southard, known as Idaho's Lady Bluebeard, for killing several of her husbands to collect upon their life insurance. That was such a popular thing back in that era. I've listened to so many true crime podcasts of black widows or, or, or men that married a gazillion times and knocked them all off for their insurance, their life yeah. insurance, wow. which of course at that time was like a thousand dollars, but in today's money was like 500,000. Well, prior to its completion, women did not have separate quarters in the penitentiary. Male well, inmates built a wall around the old warden's home to serve as a separate facility for women with seven two-person cells, a central day room, kitchen, and bathroom facilities. In June of 1907, with an eerily calm demeanor that stunned the courtroom, Harry Orchard was cross-examined for 26 hours regarding the many crimes of his life, including his killings, bigamy, heavy drinking, compulsive gambling, womanizing, and career as a union terrorist that resulted in the loss of 17 lives, one of which was Governor Stunenberg. Orchard had killed Stunenberg at the request of unionizer Bill, Big Bill Haywood, who was seeking revenge for the governor's harsh crackdown on miners in 1899. In exchange for the killing, Orchard received several hundred dollars and a ranch. Although sentenced to death, a judge recommended his sentence be commuted to life in prison, and the Board of Pardons agreed. He lived over 45 years within the prison walls, the longest sentence served by any Idaho state penitentiary inmate. He died in 1954. Hmm. In 1912, the blacksmith shop was remodeled into a hospital and remained the prison hospital until the 1960s. In the early 1920s, the first solitary confinement section was built and known as the cooler. Although it was built for solitary confinement, each cell contained four to six men. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I'll have more on that lovely metropolis in my part. Oh. In 1921, Cell House 3 was converted into a shoe factory. In 1923, the multi-purpose building was built by the inmates and served as a shirt factory, shoe shop, bakery, license plate shop, laundry, hobby room, and loafing room, also housing communal showers. What's a loafing room? I'm imagining, like... I'm imagining you just go in there to lay around. I okay. Don't know. <laughs> Okay, that's probably where the, the term loafing around came from. Perhaps. Interesting. In 1926, a second solitary confinement area was built known as Siberia and housed 12 3x8 cells with one inmate per cell. In 1928, cell house 3 was remodeled for inmate occupancy and became the first cell house with indoor plumbing. Thank God. God, what, 30 years later? Those honeypots must have been ripe. Oh, God. <laughs> In the 1930s, the territorial prison building was converted into a chapel. In 1952, cell house four was built. It was the largest and most modern cell house at the penitentiary. Some of the inmates painted their cells and left drawings on the walls that can still be seen today. Why were they allowed to paint their fucking cells? I don't know. 
1954, Cell House 5 was built. This was maximum security where the most unruly and violent offenders stayed and served as a permanent place of solitary confinement. It included built-in gallows and death row. In 1957, Raymond Allen Snowden was executed for the murder of Cora Dean, which occurred in Garden City on September 23, 1956. He was nicknamed Idaho's Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. I talk in about him, too. Okay. In 1971 and 1973, severe riots broke out. The inmates suffered through almost inhumane conditions. The sandstone walls intensified the temperatures inside the cells, retaining the stifling heat of Boise's hot summers and the chilling cold of its winters. Unpleasant conditions were complicated by the prison's ill-working ventilation system. Conditions like these pushed inmates to the edge and guards answered violence with more violence until the prisoners reached their breaking point. The prisoners burned the chapel and dining hall to the ground and damaged many other buildings. Holy shit! Shortly thereafter, the 416 prisoners were moved to Idaho State Correctional Institutions south of Boise. The penitentiary was closed and placed on the National Register of Historic Places. From the smoke and fire blackened stone to the calendar still hanging on the cell walls, the Uh buildings were left exactly as they were at the end of these riots. Yes. In 1974, the prison was opened for tours. Some guides and visitors attest to strange sounds, voices, and a sinister feeling of dark entities still lurking in the cell blocks. It closed in 1973, and they opened it for tours in 74? Yeah. They didn't waste any time with that shit, did they? Not a minute. (laughs) (laughs) How? Because you hear about, like, these, these places, but it's, like, five to ten years before they, like, open it up, and in that time it vandals and disrepair and this and that but it doesn't right. sound wow wow okay. <laughs> boom income <laughs> well the old idaho penitentiary is currently managed by the idaho state historical society it features 30 historic buildings and special exhibitions including a collection of tapes and transcripts from oral interviews with 15 former prison guards covering prison operations and remembrances from the 1950s to the closing of the prison. The collection is open for research at the Society. Also, J.C. Earl donated his personal collection of historic arms and military memorabilia to the state of Idaho, which placed them on exhibition at the old Idaho Penitentiary. They range from the Bronze Age to those used today for sport, law enforcement, and military purposes. Still today, events and programs provide families, school groups, and visitors an opportunity to relive the old pen's exciting past of daring escapes, scandals, and executions. That is so awesome, Arch. Good job. Um, Tiffany, the girl um, who suggested that she's been there, and she said it was super creepy and um, definitely worthy of an episode, so she's not wrong. Um, I had no idea. I mean, I suppose every state has a creepy fucking old prison. Um, some are just creepier than others. And I feel like this one might be in the near vicinity of Eastern state. It's a, it's a place. Let me tell you. (laughs) It's a, it's a place. So, um, let's listen to this really quick promo for our sponsor, Love Heals Rescue. And soon as, um, 
that is done, we will get to my portion, the haunting portion of the old Idaho State Penitentiary. <laughs> we'll be right back, guys. Love Heals Rescue is a nonprofit organization that believes every dog in need deserves a second chance at a new life. Love Heals wants to partner with the community to help as many dogs as possible find loving homes while also helping dogs in need in the area, such as providing a last litter program where the mother dog is fixed and returned or adopted and all of the puppies are fixed, examined by a vet, microchipped, and adopted out to help with the overpopulation of dogs in the area. Love Heals Rescue cannot continue to help the community without a dedicated foster network. Please consider becoming a foster. You can find them on Facebook by searching Love Heals Rescue. Help, Help us, us be, be a part, part of the solution. solution. Okay, guys, welcome back. Thank you so much. Um, are we ready for some ghosts, Archie? Yeah, let's bring it on. Okay. So, um, sandstone, which is what you had said, I believe, was what the inmates built the prison with? Yes. Yes. Okay. So as we've talked about in a, a number of previous episodes, that is an earthly conductor for spiritual energy, it's sandstone, limestone, all of that good stuff, um, because it intensifies energetic heat within its domain. And like you also mentioned, the prison was kind of notorious for retaining the heat during the hot Idaho, Idaho summers, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. So sort of a perfect combination Um because the property was built with sandstone, uh, it was sort of a perfect recipe for paranormal activity, given all of the crazy shit that happened at this place. Um, because the property was built with it, and because, like you said, it would retain the heat from the summers and just the overcrowding, um, this led to historic, what this article called human devastation. Um, and so now that it is a place that attracts the spirits of those that died within its walls. So I'm going to start my portion with um, a piece that I, I came across um, in Annie. Um, I got my information from Annie. I got it from um, my favorite YouTube videos. I also got it from <laughs> Mysterious Universe and uh, the lineup as well. <clears throat> so I'm going to start my portion with a quote from Amber Byerly. Now, she is the historic sites administrator for the penitentiary. She also is a co-author of a book called Old Idaho Penitentiary. I buried the lead on that, didn't I? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, she does say that she does believe that such paranormal spirits do exist. She went on to say that she hadn't personally experienced anything where she was like, wow, I just saw something I can't explain. But um, she says that it is that immediate feeling um, because of the history of the place and the suffering that happened there. Um, because you're talking about humanity at its lowest, you know the feelings that you have, the feelings of deep sadness that are very common among visitors and tour guides are just something that you can't shake the minute you walk into the buildings. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So um, she did say that one of the surest signs of contact with an old pen spirit uh, is an ashen face on a visitor. Like all the tour guides and the staff just know when one of the visitors has ha has seen something or felt something they can't explain because everybody, the color just drains out of their faces. <laughs> so right away they're like, yes, yeah, I'm happening to that person over there. Um, 
Amber Byerly goes on to say, quote, whether they can quantify it, whether they can prove it, and most of the time they can't, but I've seen those faces and I know these people completely believe that they either experienced something, saw something, or felt something that was otherworldly. Yeah. Um, one example of this took place in Cell House 3. A woman um, with this Amber Byerly said she felt something brush her hair. This is creepy as fuck, Archie. Felt something brush her hair. It was an actual physical thing that she felt brush her hair back, and she heard a whisper in her ear, pretty. <laughs> No, I mean, I know, thank you, but no. <laughs> I mean, let's think about for a minute the people that were in there and hadn't, you know, you know, mm-hmm. just nor- women just walking around through the prison. Mm-hmm. That, that one sent shudders all through me. It was blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so I'm going to jump right into um, a lot of the, the super crazy haunting goodness with mine um, air quote goodness um let's talk a little bit more in depth of the guy you mentioned the guy who sometimes referred to as idaho's jack the ripper ray snowden so um most of the reports in this place center around this guy. He is the most one of the most famous inmates. And as you mentioned, he was sentenced to death for the brutal murder of a woman named Cora Dean. Um, and prior to his 1957 execution by hanging, he actually admitted to the murders of two other women. Ooh. Yeah. So we're going to go on a teeny tiny little true crime bit here. We're going to talk a little bit more <clears throat> about good old Ray and his proclivity for violence. Um, grab your wine and settle in. Cause this guy's a doozy. Um, he's one of two doozies I'm actually going to talk about. So, uh, let's see here. Pause for a sip. More like a guzzle. <laughs> this dude is <laughs> fucked up. Okay. So the story goes that Ray was at this bar and I can't remember the name of the bar, but this beautiful young woman in, I think it was 1956, beautiful young woman named Cordine came into the bar and she was sitting there and having a few drinks and she meets Ray Snowden and they're talking and they're, they're having a good time. And, um, he wanted to, uh, take her someplace quiet mm. and uh, continue the evening, the evening in private. And she was like, no, thanks. You know, like just hanging out, having drinks and BSing was fine with her. Um, so as they're leaving the bar, he propositioned her basically, and she turned him down and this pissed him off. So he basically started to like grab her arm, try to keep her to stay with him. And she was fighting against him. He said he made her an offer that was really, really, really <laughs> he basically said to her, take your pick, rape or murder. Oh. To which she replied, neither. Thank you. Goodbye. Um, this sent him apparently into an even bigger rage. And he pulled out a knife and he brutally stabbed her. Um, the conflicting reports that I read um, that he said... Sta- What's known is he stabbed her between 29 and 35 times. 
stabbing her in the spine at one point and digging the knife around until he severed her spinal cord. Oh God. Mm -hmm. So that's why he gets the, the um, nickname of Idaho's Jack the Ripper, because it was such a brutal, vicious, violent, bloody murder. Um, He then tossed his knife in, I don't know if it was a storm drain or a garbage can outside of a cigar shop and took off or yeah, he tossed the knife outside of the cigar shop. And then I guess he went into the cigar shop, used the bathroom, cleaned himself up and then just walked out. Yes. Um, He wasn't, he wasn't um, out and about long from everything that I had read he was caught pretty quickly uh tried pretty quickly i mean because 19 by 1957 he was executed and the murder happened in 56 so it was all very quick but that's um that's <laughs> the fun fact as to why he's called idaho's jack the ripper um my guess is they had never had anything so horrific and gruesome happen because there's uh, beyond that there really is no other similarity with the actual jack the ripper than that Um, this woman wasn't a sex worker. She wasn't like Jack the Ripper's victims were known to be. She wasn't, um, you know, anything like that. I I did read a story that she was a, a divorcee. So anyway, that's that gem of an individual. Now, when he died, uh, so he was taken to, um, not the gallows in the Rose Garden, he was taken to an actual room within the prison where the guards and everybody measured um, the length of the rope based on his weight. And then he stood on this square in the floor. And then there was a big, like, like a pull, like a lever that they would pull to drop the bottom out of the floor so that he would drop through the hole in the floor to the room below and his neck would break. However, Because if it wasn't horrible, I wouldn't be talking about it in my part. (laughs) (laughs) However, um, the rope was too long. And when they pulled the lever and the bottom of the floor pulled away, he dropped. But his neck didn't break because the rope was too long. So he basically dropped to the floor underneath and swung there and... Till he and strangled for 15 minutes. So it was a very slow, painful, excruciating death. It wasn't quick like it was supposed to be. Mm. From everything that I read, the prison was investigated, the execution was investigated, and they said it was just a miss, um, a mistake. It was a miscalculation between his weight and the length of the rope and what have you. Um, maybe that person was bad at math. I mean, if it were me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I definitely would have done this, <laughs> but, um, it was, it was a brutal, a pretty brutal death. So because of that, he is said to be seen, heard, and felt in this area of the prison. Um, so you've got a, a real gem like this guy. And then a, he had a brutal death, which wasn't quite honestly, nearly as brutal as Cora Dean's. Right. But in the years since the prison has closed, visitors and staff, um, tour guides, things like that, they've all claimed that his spirit still haunts the grounds. Many of these claims center around the building known as Five House, where he was hung. And they also claim 
that Snowden's final agonized attempts to breathe, according to records, like I said, it took over 15 minutes for him to suffocate to death. Oh, God. So his final agonized attempts to breathe can be heard throughout the building, particularly at the former location of the gallows. Wow. Uh Uh-huh. The majority of the prisoners included, along with visitors and guards, have reported a feeling of dread and oppression in certain areas, particularly in and around his cell and the area that he died. Um, Reports of hearing footsteps echoing in the halls when there is no one else around. Disembodied voices have been heard, and those that have participated on the walking tours of the penitentiary have reported being touched and sometimes even pushed by unseen hands. Yikes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like... You know how, like, you trip over, like, a little, like, raised bump in, a, like, a stone floor, and you're like, oh, my God, that's so embarrassing. But, I mean, imagine being shoved. Like, that's got to be even more terrifying. You know how you're, like, sort of like, oh, my God, when you trip just kind of over your own feet or, off, right, like, a right, little tight right. But to be shoved and know that there's no one behind you, you turn around, there's no one there. That's got to be horrifying. I can I can only imagine. I, yeah, and let's hope that's all we can ever do, Arch. <laughs> just fucking imagine. Um, so now, uh, most people that have entered the penitentiary say that they have had a feeling of being watched. And it's also, again, common to report hearing, or it's also common to hear reports of apparitions and shadowy figures lingering throughout the abandoned prison. Um, apparently, Mr. Snowden also makes his presence known by causing batteries to go dead. And he's been seen as a greenish light. So maybe Disco Debbie from the Disneyland episode, she was seen (laughs) as a greenish light. Maybe she's a descendant. That would be horrible, but I don't know. That's the only other time I've ever heard of an apparition that kind of appears green. Paranormal investigators have recorded numerous unexplained sounds like screaming, laughter, and banging. They even report finding various locations inside featuring odd cold spots, especially in the dead of summer, which that building is still made of sandstone. The summers are still hot, so it's probably miserable to go there in the summer. It's become a bucket list location of mine because it's so – the history is insane and the hauntings are crazy, but we're not going to go in the summer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Let's see. Um, the some of the disembodied laughter is sometimes heard in the prison is to believe is believed to be that of Snowden. Again, his ghost has been reported being seen inside on more than one occasion. What I found interesting was that his cell is still left dark out of respect for his soul. So there's electricity in the building, and but they keep his cell dark out of respect for his soul. Oh, that was kind of interesting. I've never. So additionally, the bar where he met Cora Dean has also had numerous paranormal situations. Shadows seen walking around in the back room of the bar and by the back door, the door they exited out of when they left that night. The cigar shop Hannafin's where he tossed the knife he killed her with has also reported paranormal occurrences. There was an interview I saw with the owner that he was in the back office and he frequently hears boots stomp across the floor and over to the bathroom where he came in and used that night to clean himself out, self up after he killed Cora. Wow. Uh-huh. So this guy's just kind of going all over. Oh, this part is awful. Like, I don't even know why you would let your children do this. Uh, it's, uh, Archie's face is like, I'm sorry, children. <laughs> 
What? A, <laughs> a tour guide stated that she was giving a tour to children and they were in the room Snowden was executed in. They heard a loud bang and the slamming and the sound of the door to the execution chamber slammed shut. Oh, okay. Mm. All right. If it were me as a child, I'd be like, <gasps> I'd be terrified, but I'd still be all fucking for it. If it were coy as a child, it would traumatize him for the rest of his life and he'd probably get therapy until he died. That would be... <laughs> I would never take Koi to something like that ever, ever, ever. <laughs> okay. So in addition to Snowden, many guests and tour guides claim that sinister feelings, strange sounds, voices, and dark entities still lurk in the cell blocks of the penitentiary, particularly near the former solitary confinement cells. Now here's where we get to our second true crime story. A man named Van Vlack. V-L-A-C-K, Van Vlack. This peachy fellow, he had married a woman named Mildred Hook. And they were married for a while. Um, seemingly, you know, in the beginning, everything was sun sunshine and roses. Um, but then he became, he lost his job and he became abusive toward her. And um, so she filed for divorce. And then they reconciled, and then she filed for divorce again. She moved back home to um, her parents in Washington, and um, he was obsessed with her and kept trying to find ways to get her back. So he went up to Washington, and he kidnapped her. And oh, jeez. Yeah, they went on... Um, well, he went on the lamb and took her with him. And so, like, the whole thing traversed a bunch of states like Oregon and, and um, I think Northern California, um, culminating in a bad times in Idaho. Along the way, he shot two policemen that died. And um, when they finally caught up to him, they knew that that he had her and her family was terrified and worried. Um in the end, uh, when they arrested him, he fessed up that he murdered her and where they could find her body, which ended up being, they called it a culvert, but I, the way they described it was a sewage drain. Oh, jeez. He had bashed her in the head with the butt of the gun and he had shot her in, and he had shot her in the head. Um, so he was sent to, cause I believe one of the policemen or both of them were, um, Idaho state troopers. So he was sent to um, old Idaho penitentiary and he <laughs> was sentenced to death. Um, he, on the day of his execution, he did get a visit from his mother who whispered something in his ear. After that, the guards led him up to um, the upper level of the penitentiary uh, to the third floor where then I guess he was going to be transferred down to the gallows outside. Uh, that part wasn't clear to me. But what happened was he got away from his guards and um, he ran up to an additional flight of stairs, I think. And at the top of the building, he the guards were trying to get him to come back down and they were like, okay, come back, come on. You, let's not, enough of this nonsense, basically. Um 
And as they started to rush him, he said, I have the right to die the way I choose. And he jumped off the the, the walkway 30 feet to the concrete ground below, landed on his head and shoulder and didn't die. Oh, my God. So they rushed down there and they rolled his body onto a mattress and covered it with a blanket. And while they were like kind of trying to decide what to do with him. Do we go through with the execution? Do we not? I mean, is he gonna, he's not going to make it. What do we do? So he, they basically just left him there to lay on the mattress and die a slow, painful death from his injuries. They believe he broke his neck, but he was alive for a time after that. Wow. Yeah, so that is good old Van, Mr. Van Vlack. I can't remember what his name was. I think it was Carl Van Vlack or Gary. V- I can't remember. Anyway, so that's him. Um, and they've he is also attributed to a number of, like I said earlier, sinister feelings, strange sounds, voices, and dark entities lurking in the prison. Just really awful, awful, awful. Um, now, the solitary confinement building, also called Siberia, as you mentioned, during its time as a prison, guards would often hear inmates yelling and screaming incessantly from in here. Um, I mean, the conditions were awful, but yelling and screaming incessantly is something that People have heard to this day. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I wonder if that's one of those stone tape theory things, you know, where it's just kind of recorded like the the grief and the, the almost insanity that people were experiencing in those cells. And mm. it's just kind of playing it as visual haunt. Cold spots and apparitions are seen in here. It is considered to be, along with Cell House 5, to be the place with the heaviest feeling of sadness and dread felt in it. So people walk in and they're immediately just like overcome with grief and sadness and they can't, they don't know where it came from. They can't seem to shake it until they leave the building. Wow. I think that's my biggest fear of going into a location is having my emotions, my emotions kind of taken over. Right. I feel like that would be really, I think that would be the most terrifying thing. Anyway, this one visitor was looking through the small window in the cell door. So it had a big metal fucking door. And then in it, it had a little like opening cut out with it. There was a little window or a door where they would either pass their food to them or whatever. Okay. And she was looking through this little opening in this thick metal door. And it was during the day on a tour. And when she looked into it, obviously the sunlight from where she was poured into the cell. And as she looked into it, she saw a fig, a shadow stand up in the corner of the cell. She uh, ran screaming out of the penitentiary and never finished bothered to come back, finish her tour or anything like that. (laughs) That would be, uh, I've seen shadow figures at Phelps Dodge, but I was I was expecting to see something. Maybe she wasn't, but she was on a, I don't know. I really don't know. I Uh, (laughs) figure that I saw didn't move, um, but it was gone by the time we went back around. So I don't, if I were to see it, I don't, I I honestly can't say how I would react. I feel like screaming and running is a good start. (laughs) (laughs) Since I actually want to be a a professional paranormal investigator, it would be a very bad start for me. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like that was not an overreaction. Anyway, investigators have also caught an EVP saying, hey, say what? Shortly after the sounds of cell door slamming and people hitting the wall, like banging on the walls. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, the other place, uh, the hole, 
which I guess was even worse than solitary confinement. Noises such as doors opening, sounds of more cell doors slamming are often captured. EVP caught an unexplained voice and I was I was listening to it over and over and it was hard to make out what it was that it was saying at the time. It was definitely male. But then when they went back and they re-reviewed it, it sounded like um, they were saying, I'm okay. I don't know. It was, I'm not sure. Um, The next place I want to talk about is the Rose Garden. And as amazing and magical as it sounds, it wasn't. Um, However, it It is impressive for a couple of reasons. Um, One, it was a test garden in the late 1800s for the Rose Company, Jackson and Perkins. Have you ever heard of them? Yes. Have you? I've never heard of them. They're still in business today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really? I had no idea. Anyway, so it was a test garden in the late 1800s for that Rose Company, and the garden was actually tended to entirely by prisoners. Um, The other thing... It was, as you mentioned earlier, the place where the portable gallows were set up during the years of 1920 to 1926, and where six of the ten people executed there were hung. Yeah. Now, apparently, families back in the early 20s would climb. There's a, they have a high ridge surrounding the prison. Families would climb to the top of that ridge to watch the executions take place. Oh, my God. And not much has changed. For fuck's sake. <laughs> Why? Why? People so I are did, weird. Well, yeah. God, I guess. I did watch the episode of Ghost Adventures on this location. And Zach and Nick climb up this ridge to f- see, like, what it was that the families would have seen. They came across, like, a bazillion rattlesnakes. <laughs> and... Just as a little sidebar, Zach Bagan says that he's terrified of snakes. But, I mean, like, ever, like they would be having to be very careful where they were stepping because they were fucking everywhere. And at one point, the idiot picks up a snake to face his fear. Oh, it, my I don't God. think it was a rattlesnake, but he picks up a snake and then, like, screams and drops it like a little girl. It was the funniest shit I ever watched in my life. <laughs> With Zach Bagan's. Just, just because... Anybody that did that, I would be like, you idiot. They actually did. <laughs> they actually did when he picked it up. They put a warning up that do not pick up snakes in the wild. But I thought it was I thought it was really funny to watch because, yeah, this tough macho guy picked up the snake and then screamed and dropped it and ran like a girl. <laughs> like a girl and ran. Anyway. Um, so yeah, families would climb this ridge surrounding the prison to watch the executions take place. Um, out here in the Rose Garden, apparitions and cold spots have been seen, as well as numerous reports of tourists and guides getting sudden severe headaches and seeing a red light floating around the garden area. I don't want that either. Don't give me a headache and don't fuck with my emotions. (laughs) What is it? um, You're playing with my emotions, Smokey. What is it? Big, big worm? From Friday. Oh God. <laughs> Play my emotions, Smokey. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, there is also very popular reports, which I think this would be charming. There are popular reports of an elderly man in a prison uniform tending to the roses. Uh, visitors think that it's a current employee dressed in a uniform recreating the era, only to look away and write back to find that he's vanished. Oh, wow. Then to 
Then to later find out the prison never does historic recreations and no one ever dresses up in clothing or uniforms from the era. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Screams and laughter have also been heard in the Rose Garden during overnight investigations when nobody is out there. Screams and laughter, that just sounds like a terrifying combination, but honestly, it's the one thing that it's like the two most popular sounds in my house. (laughs) Somebody is constantly shrieking, like if my mom steps on a toy and she thinks she stepped on, like especially if it's like a wet, squishy, like a toy they've been chewing on, she'll think she stepped in poop if she's not wearing her glasses, so she'll scream. Oh, God. Like, it's a dog toy, and then we'll all start laughing. So, I mean, screams and laughter sound horrifying in a haunted location, but in my house, it's pretty fucking common. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Um, One woman, again, reported that she felt somebody touching her hair. She poked her head into the cell only to turn around and find that no one was anywhere near her. So the hair touching is a thing there. I'm not down with that, but prep yourself. And then another woman also reported being shoved quite forcefully as she investigated the first floor of cells. Sometimes paranormal investigations are super, super boring. You're just kind of sitting around in the dark and the quiet waiting for something to happen. And if something may and it may not. But sometimes it's they can be quite dangerous. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We've talked about some of these investigators that have been shoved and scratched and like made to bleed and shit like that. Um Now, a news reporter for a local station in Boise was in the Rose Garden one night, and I believe he he was a part of a paranormal investigation just for a news piece that he was doing, and at 3 a.m. saw a ball of light floating in front of him that the crew also saw, and out of nowhere, he said he felt hands on either side of his head applying a crushing-type pressure on his skull. Wow. Uh Uh-huh. Uh Uh-huh. What the fuck? Now, in cell house five, which is one of the more, um, I believe it was one of the more active locations and also one of the more dangerous ones of the prison, I think. There, it's common to hear heavy metal doors with multiple locks, or not to hear it, rather. So... It's common to find heavy metal doors with multiple locks. They'll be secured at night by the staff leaving. Um, Typically, it's just the one guy kind of shutting up and kind of after the staff has left just to make sure everything has been taken care of for the night. So he's the only one there. He's reported that these multiple locks will have been secured only to find them unlocked in the morning when staff first arrives. Hmm. Not loving that. Um, Breaker boxes will have the switches flipped off and on so they'll shut the lights off in the breaker boxes and in the morning they'll be turned on or they'll be like or the opposite stuff that's off is on stuff that's on supposed to be on is off and they didn't know in this um in this episode that i watched that i mean anybody that has a fuse box or has seen a fuse box or has done anything with a fuse box in a home knows those switches aren't like normal light switches they're hard you kind of have to kind of shove them Um, so it takes a fair amount of energy for an apparition to gather, to switch one of those switches because they're so hard to, they're hard to move and they're designed that way purposely. So they're not just willy nilly being turned off and on. So yeah, that's one of the occurrences that happens there. 
Many visitors, yeah, it's, many visitors have been so sensitive to the paranormal activity in this area of the prison, Cell House 5, that they have become quite ill. Um, A lot of people have been emotionally overwhelmed, started crying. Um, Many who tour the facility have to end their tour at this specific spot early because they're so overcome with emotions and the feelings of just physical illness. Yeah, pissed I'd be if I spent money on a tour and got sick halfway in. No. (laughs) Fuck you, I'm going to keep going. Now, more on the Ghost Adventures episode. Um, Zach put Aaron in the communal shower room where an inmate had been gang raped to death. So naturally, he put Aaron in there alone. Within, yeah. He's a, he's a, he, uh, can't wait to meet him. So he puts Aaron in this communal shower room where this inmate had been gang raped to death. And within minutes of being in there, Aaron had a water bottle in his back pocket. And he was like, okay, I'm in here. And he's all getting set up. He felt the water bottle being lifted up out of his pocket. And they had set up cameras and stuff around him right before he feels it. The camera catches a shadow moving behind and toward him. Oh, my God. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, sure. We didn't see the water bottle. But then they show the footage, and you can see this shadow figure kind of walk behind him and toward him. And then a couple of seconds later, he's like, what? And felt this water bottle being lifted up out of his pocket. I'm telling you what. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Not a fan of Zach Bagan's theatrics, but that's a fucking good show. They catch some stuff. They really catch stuff. (laughs) So at one point, Zach tried to get Raymond Snowden to communicate with him, antagonizing him, you know, as he does. And he felt something touching him on the arm and the upper shoulder. The camera that he had that was set several feet away from him does catch this dark mist behind him in that same area as he feels it. Um, He felt physically ill, and then he saw more shadows kind of moving around. So that was that lovely little Cell House 5 section. Other reports that people have uh, have reported are footsteps being heard on the upper floors of the cells, the second and third floor, with nobody on them. Um, and then, then Ghost Hunters actually caught a little shallow, not shallow, shadow holographic <laughs> image of a human shadow figure. So they had this special um, camera set up that was hooked up to a television that it would record every 30 seconds and then they'd kind of play it back to see any kind of, if they caught any kind of manifestations. And they actually did catch the image of a human shadow figure. And then they also caught an EVP saying, not my life. So I don't know what that, huh. yeah. Um, so that's really what I have for the hauntings at old Idaho penitentiary. I do want to end my part with this. It is a, another, um, quote that I found from Amber Byerly, who, again, she was the woman I talked about in the beginning of my part. She explains that her work at the facility honors the past. And she says that this leaves her curious about the spirits, but ultimately unafraid. She says, quote, I'm always telling the stories in a way that I'm just saying to the spirits, hey, I'm giving you a voice that you didn't have when you were here. She said, I never feel a sense of evil. I feel a sense of sadness that can be tempered by helping them express what they need to. Hmm. 
She does say that her lack of fear doesn't mean she thinks that old Penn is clear of nefarious spirits. There's that word nefarious again. Got to use <laughs> a new word in every episode. This episode is brought to you by nefarious. Anyway, she doesn't mean that she thinks that it's clear of nefarious spirits. Quote, there were some evil dudes here. Absolutely. Uh, she says, I'm essentially trying to help them in telling their stories. So they've got my back. I'll be okay. Hmm. That sounds like very wishful <clears throat> thinking to me. <laughs> but, you know, I don't have to work there, so... She yeah, believes. yeah. She can believe what she wants. <clears throat> so that's that's what I've got. Let's talk a little bit about Know Before You Go, because I recommend this place. I think everybody should should check it out. It sounds amazing. I'm all for a fucking abandoned haunted prison. <laughs> Absolutely. You can visit them, as Archie mentioned, um, and as... I had also touched on in my, the beginning of my portion. It is run by the, um, what is the host, historic sites of Idaho? Their Idaho website, State Historical Society. There we go. That's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> the historical people that do stuff with Idaho. Is that what you said? <laughs> <laughs> Their website is history.idaho.gov. Now it is located at 2445 Old Penitentiary Road in Boise, Idaho, 83712. Uh, if you have any questions, you can certainly call them, uh, area code 208-334-2844. Obviously, it is temporarily closed with the um, pandemic going on. They did say, um, I believe they actually had a date on their website, and I thought I think it was May 31st. Obviously, as things go, it could be changed. But typically they are open on, um, they are open seven days a week. They are closed on most state holidays. Their summer hours, Memorial Day through Labor Day, um, is 10, or 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. with their last admission at 4.15. And then their regular hours, Labor Day to Memorial Day, are noon to 5, again, with the last admission at 4.15 p.m. So you can definitely visit their website for ticket pricing and information and things like that. And, um, yeah, old Idaho state penitentiary. I was pleasantly surprised. I, um, we get a lot of location suggestions, arches, you know, that don't end up having too many, um, hauntings. The histories are always so amazing and so rich, but then there's only maybe like a little handful of hauntings that, um, and I thought maybe this might be the same thing, but boy, did it surprise me in such a wonderful way. It has some, whew, Crazy stuff. I do not want a ghost coming up to me, touching my hair, and then whispering, pretty. <laughs> don't do that. I don't want the living to fucking do that. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So that's that. That was a really wonderful location. Tiffany, thank you so much. This yes, episode thank you. And sorry it took us so long to get around to it. But, guys, we, we get a lot of location suggestions. We've got them all on a list. Just because we haven't done it yet doesn't mean we're not going to get around to doing it. Um, this is proof of that. So, yeah. Otherwise, yeah, thank you, guys. We love you. Uh, Arch, why don't you tell them where they can find us? We can be found wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, as well as hoahpodcast.com and H-O-A-H podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Patreon. We have a Patreon that's at H-O-A-H podcast. So yep. I, 
that's that covers everybody. Is that right? Yeah, yeah that covers everybody. We have whored ourselves out to just about everyone. <laughs> so um, find us everywhere. All right. Um, <laughs> anyway, thanks, guys. We love you, and we will see you next week with a brand new location. And Arch, happy Easter. I love you. I wish we could be together. Um, but soon enough, one day. I love you. Bye, guys. I love you. Bye, everybody. <laughs>